Hi guys, today I was lucky to be joined on the podcast by Jimmy Gopperth. Jimmy is originally from New Zealand, but has been playing Premiership Rugby in England for years. He's just signed for Leicester Tigers, however he's been playing for Wasps. He's also played for Leinster and Newcastle Falcons, and the Blues and the Hurricanes in New Zealand. We speak a lot about how he's managed to play so long, how he manages his on versus off time and why that's so important, how he uses visualisation so effectively, and the story behind his kicking tees. I really hope you enjoy this and find this useful. Cool. So, as always, we just want to start with um, what your life was like for young you, how you got into rugby, and what your sort of journey was like. Yeah, so obviously, growing up in New Zealand, uh, as soon as you can walk, you you pretty much had a rugby ball in your hand. Uh, so, you know, it was destined to, to love the game and just, yeah, really loved playing with my mates at school. Uh, ended up just playing a bunch with my mates and good teams and then moved to New Plymouth Boys High um, because they had a good rugby team and look, I, I wanted to try and progress my rugby. And fortunately, it just sort of snowballed from there, really. Had some great years in the first 15. Managed to play for New Zealand schools, um, which was pretty cool. Grabbed some great players in that team and then sort of got picked up by, by the Wellington Rugby Academy and then that's sort of when my professional career just took off. Yeah, and then from there, how did you end up in the UK? Um, what was that whole sort of journey like? Yeah, so obviously played played quite a bit in New Zealand uh, with with Wellington and the Hurricanes, and then had a had a little stint in uh, with North Harbour and the Blues just to to see if it was uh, you know it's a different environment. And then I was I was around sort of twenty six, I think. I just had an opportunity um, to go overseas. I had a young young child at the time, so I thought great opportunity. Um, and Newcastle ended up being the destination. Uh, one, because I had a lot of, um, there's a few Kiwis there already. Uh, so I had a choice between there and Perpignan in the south of France. And I thought, well, I've got a lot of friends in the in, in Newcastle team. So it's the best place to go to first first time away from uh, you know, your family and, and all that. So it ended up pretty, really good up there. We had uh, a ball up there, mate. It was uh, four years of, of good fun. The rugby was was not the best, but you know we uh, we sort of made up for it outside of footy, and um, which was which was pretty cool. But it was it was just a, an opportunity to to sort of um, see the world, but see the different styles of rugby, and hopefully grow my game uh, with that. And you know the plan was just to come over for a few years and develop my game, and then maybe go back and have a shot. But uh, yeah, about 12, 13 years, I'm still sitting there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to get into a bit about how you found the difference between um, Northern and Southern Hemisphere rugby. You've probably been asked about this quite a lot, but did you like how much slower did you find the game when you got here? And have you noticed any changes in recent years about the game in the Northern Hemisphere? Yeah, when I first came over, it was a real shock to the system. Uh, just totally different. It was, you know, they talked about it was ten man rugby and. And it was. It was um, set piece orientated, defense orientated, uh, and it was all about a pressure game. And you know, I had to learn pretty quickly of of how to do that because in the Super Rugby, it's about attack, 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 and the ball's just flying so fast. Like I'd come off most games in Super Rugby, and I couldn't talk to anyone. I'd, I'd physically feel sick after every game. I was that tired. Um, and I was coming off sometimes without even a sweat um, in some games. And 
So it was a bit different and it took me a, a sort of while to get used to. But once I got into it, I actually started to really enjoy the tactical uh, part of the game. Um, it's a lot different and you had to have a different skill set to play that. And I think I developed it over the few years. And from when I started with the Falcons and what was that, 2009 to where I am now, the game has changed massively. It's uh, now it's, it, it is fast. I think that the quality of the pitches has, has helped a lot. Um, a lot of clubs have spent a lot of money on on getting good pitches, which has sped the game up. Uh, the skill set of players has increased. So now I think it's pretty close um, to what you would see in Super Rugby. Yes, it's still set piece orientated, still a lot more stronger defence um, emphasis put on defence, I should say. Um, but it's definitely come a long way, a long, long way. Yep, yep. I want to get into a bit of detail um, just to help people listening about like what exactly were you doing to improve your game when you got here to catch up with like whatever it was that you needed to work on? Yeah, so obviously done a little bit more, like uh, looked at a lot of video and, and seen different defences of how, how defence is sort of set up here to try and balance my game between a running game and a kicking game. Uh, because in New Zealand, I was more of a running uh, running 10 than it would be a kicking 10. Um, so I had to develop my skills as well. Uh, obviously, I could always, I was always handy at kicking um, out of hand and stuff, but I had to really just change my style. Uh, not change my style, just think about different types of kicks, um, high contestable kicks, you know, through the, through the ground, long kicks, turning, turning the back three around. Um, so it was like, yeah, I had to spend a lot more time on, on kicking, whereas probably in the, in New Zealand, I'd spend a lot more time on my passing skills, offloading skills. Um, and that, I suppose it's developed me as a, as a player uh, from doing that. Have you got any sort of examples of like games when you got here where you were just like, oh God, like what have I gotten myself into? Um, oh, there's a couple. Uh, I, I do remember we played... Um, we're in the premiership and Leeds when they were in the premiership they were our when I was in Newcastle they were in they were like our nearest uh, rivals and it was it was a Boxing Day uh, game and it was at Kingston Park and it snowed all the week before and the owner was like no it's on like this is our biggest income uh, of the year it's the biggest match it's sold out so we were out there the day before the game shoveling snow off the pitch to try and get this game on. I still remember my mate, good old all-black legend, Paul Carl Heyman, working so hard. The next day in the game, he could barely stand, like his back was gone. We're just trying to get the snow. And the game, I think we ended up losing, like, I don't know what it was, 6-5 or something. It was... Oh, God. It was, like, I think I might have touched the ball three times. It was yeah. freezing. I remember my mate Tane Tuapaloti was at 12 and it was so cold, his jaw locked and he couldn't talk. So I was like, I'd be telling him like, what's, I was like, this is a call. And I was like, Tane, you all right? And he'd like, like he just couldn't talk. His jaw was locked. The back three didn't touch the ball. I think it was literally a game in nine-man rugby. It was, um, yeah, it wasn't pretty. I remember just standing there going, what, what am I doing? Like, this is outrageous. So it was definitely um, an, an eye-opener for sure. That sounds pretty horrendous. Um, were you at Newcastle? Did you spend any time in the champ, the championship? 
yeah, so I had one year in the champ uh, when they went down. I stayed with them to get up, and then I left to uh, Leinster uh, when they got back up. Yeah, so um, talk to me about how that whole experience was. Oh, it's uh, if one one word you could um, sum up the championship. It's gritty. It's very gritty. Um, you know, we were winning most games by fifty points because um, we still had a full premiership side. And, you know, our goal was to get straight back up. Um, I remember one game. Um, it was a year, so Leeds were down again. It was against Leeds again. Um, we were supposed to play at Henningley, uh, their local ground. They share with the Rhinos there. And there was a disease in the pitch. So we had to move our game to Otley, uh, which is quite a famous ground in itself. I think the All Blacks played there, got, you know, donkeys years ago and, um, against England or a local team. But... Anyway, we kick off and it's it's all right, like the underfoot, it's not too bad. And we scored straight away and feeling, like, okay, this is going to be another route. And then the heavens open. And I think in that game, our players might have tackled each other. Like you couldn't tell who was who. It was, uh, wow. it ended up being like a one score game, low as. And I just remember coming off the field, we're all taking photos in the changing room because you couldn't see anyone. It was like, all our jerseys are just full of mud and it was proper, like, old-school rugby. But did that help your game at all, playing in a league like that? Um, yeah, it's different, like, because it's, um, you know, there's still some really good sides in the championship, um, some really good sides, and you go to some really cool places. But, yeah, it's, I suppose it's um, because we're winning all right, um, it actually freed your game up a bit, um, which is pretty cool. So we got to develop a lot of young guys. I'm young Joel Hodgson was coming through. So he had played 10, I'd play 15 quite a bit. Um, that way I can sort of, he can get the experience and I can still help him on the field. So I was enjoying it. I was scoring a few tries and uh, hanging out the back there. So it was all right. But um, yeah, look, it's a great breeding ground, the championship for players, you know, coming through into premiership sides. We've seen that. We've got a, some great uh, championship players that have come through the system that are with us, us or was now. Um, so it, it's a brilliant uh, breeding ground for for the youngsters coming through. Yeah. So what do you know about those youngsters who stand out then? Um, are there any sort of traits or like, characteristics which you notice about um, like 19, 20, 21 year olds who are sort of making it very young? Yeah, I think you just see the hunger. Um, they've got a lot of hunger for to play and, and they get their, you know put their body on the line and you can see that they've got a good skill set because they're obviously working hard on their skills because um, that's the difference of you know you can everyone these days are athletes everyone you know strong and, and fast and but if you have um, the skill set uh, then you're going to get you know you're going to get noticed and you're going to go a little bit further and the, the more your skills are at a high quality. It goes a, a long, long way to being a professional rugby player. And, you know, the, I personally, when I was younger, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd spend a little bit of time in the gym, but it was not my focus. My focus was all about skills. Um, and I think you see the best players that have they've gone, you know, that are, are world-class players, their skill set's unbelie unbelievable. So it's not all about being the strongest in the team and the fastest it's about having the knowledge um about gameplay understanding the game but also having the skill set yeah are you still sort of chipping away at like learning new skills and developing skills or is it like 
Like, where are you with that now? Yeah, every day. Uh, every day I'm working on my catch, simple things, catch pass, uh, my kicking skills, my offloading skills, tackle skills, every day. Um, you know, because you got to stay sharp because everyone's getting better and better. The game's, as I said, getting faster. So you're going to have less time to react. You know, no one's ever nailed, uh, no one's ever nailed a skill on 100%. You always can get better. So the day you sort of sit back and go, oh, no, I don't need to do anything. I'm pretty good at that. Then you're going to find out pretty quickly that you'll you know, decline because um, everyone will go, oh, here do you. Yeah. Have you got an example of a time where um, there was a skill where you did put a lot of time into learning it and um, like it came off? Yeah, well, I, a pretty easy one's probably my goal kicking. Um, you know, I spent hours and hours and hours from a very, very young age. Uh, you know, I'd be kicking the ball over the post at my at my home when I was, you know, seven, six, seven, eight, nine years old till, you know, I get screamed at by my mum to come inside to to go to bed. Um, you know, and I think now it's paid off and, you know, it's uh, it's pretty rewarding when you can stand up to a ball on the tee and have pretty good confidence in your in your technique and your abilities to to hopefully get the score. Yeah. Has your technique changed a lot over the years or um, is it being pretty consistent over the last few years? And like, how did you get to that point? Uh, it, it hasn't changed too much, a little bit. Um, obviously, it had to change a little bit when I moved to Wellington because of the, the wind. Um, I used to kick off just a normal cone, like a normal training cone. And as soon as I went down there, the ball would just blow off all the time. Um, so I changed to what then was called the Simpkin tee. Um, funny enough, now it's called the Jimmy GT. Um, and that helped my, sort of get my trajectory a bit better, give me a bit more power. And from then, it's pretty much been the same technique um, the whole time. And, you know, because if something works, you don't change it. You just hone the skill a little bit better. Yeah, I definitely want to get into um, the tease because I've heard a little bit about that and it sounds like a pretty interesting story. But um, in terms of your kicking, how um, like wary are you about overworking throughout the week? Uh, it's different now because now most of my skill or most of my kicking sessions are done um, uh, visually. So, you know, most nights before when I'm in bed, just before I go to sleep, I'll do three or four kicks, um, you know, right down to my breathing, visualizing the stadium I'm going to be at for that week. Uh, and right from putting the ball on the ball, uh, on the tee to seeing it go through the post. And that's helped me a really uh, a lot to, um, so I don't have to do too much on the, on the field. So like these days I'd probably do two sessions a week and maybe kick eight, eight, eight to 10 kicks a session. Um, so not many at all. Uh, some days, some, some weeks I won't even kick until I always kick obviously pre-match some some weeks I won't even kick all week and just kick uh, kick before the game. Like last week, I kicked once because we're on uh, Edinburgh play on the Astro uh, artificial turf, so we've got one at training base. So I, I kicked on the Monday as the, yeah I think I had six, and then I went to kick. Our last training day was Thursday. I kicked and I just had two, and I just. We had quite a tough session and I just wasn't feeling it. Like I, I actually struck the ball really shit and I was just like, ah, I'm done. I walked off. Um, 
and then the warm up struck them a lot better and then didn't miss in the game. So it's um I have the theory is if you start kicking badly, you go in front of the post, have one, and then walk off. Because all you'll start doing is start overthinking, you'll get frustrated, you'll start changing your technique where you don't need to. Sometimes you just have an off day. Um, and that goes within a game as well. You just gotta back your uh, technique, back your process. And you know, some days it just doesn't work, but never try and tweak and fix something that doesn't need fixing. Cool. I want to know, how did you get into visualization? Where did you first hear about it? And what's that whole process look like for you? Like when you're, okay, I'm going to go visualize a kick. What did you do? Um, I probably got into it. Well, when I probably when I was in Wellington Academy, um, they've got sports psychologists and stuff. They have always have chats with you about different things and different techniques of, of um, honing a skill or, you know, just the mental part of the game. So that's when I probably first got into it. I probably really started visualizing um, probably sort of about three or four years into my professional um, career. Uh, I don't know, I must have had a conversation with someone and someone told me to try it. So now I do it all the time. Um, and I think it's it's huge. It's a huge tool to get um, to get your right frame of mind going through to the skill that in a game, I can put the ball on the tee, I look up, and I can already see the ball going through before I even, I've even kicked the ball, and that's solely because, for yeah, when I'm in when I'm in just in line in my bed, I'll close my eyes, I'll put the ball on the tee. Um, when I'm back in my stance, I, I wiggle my big toe just for reference that my mind's telling me it's ready to kick. So I do exactly the same when I'm lying in bed. My missus probably thinks what the hell's going on, but uh, I'd wiggle my toe um, and just do everything as the process and. I've got it now that I can watch myself in third person so I can actually see my whole self doing the setup. And that's going back because I like to also watch my videos of myself uh, kicking. So um, every year I sort of get the video analysis just to update my file of, um, uh, you know, 10 kicks kicking really well at different stadiums. So then if I know I'm, um, for example, might be playing, we're playing Leon away this week, but I haven't got any there. But so just say we're playing Worcester away. I've already played there before. I'll watch myself kicking successful kicks at Worcester. So then I can already see the stadium. I can already visualize the post. And then when I get there, it's um, it's just like I was there yesterday practicing. So uh, I, I find it a massive tool. For someone listening who now wants to get into it, what, how would you direct them? Like, what details should they really be thinking about? Um, you can, anyone can use the visualization for any kind of skill. You can use it for tackling. You can use it for passing. And it's just about, as I say, the, a good thing, if, if you have got a video of yourself doing a skill, it does help to watch it, close your eyes, and then just imagine yourself doing that skill. Um, and if you, obviously, if you don't have a video, just close your eyes and just imagine yourself doing doing the skill in a certain area. Like if if you've got a good left-hand fend and a right hand offload then you visualize visualize yourself stepping someone fending it and offloading out the back and the more and more you do it it'll feel really weird to start and you'll be thinking well hang on what am i doing here but the more and more you do it the more comfortable you get it and actually the images become stronger and stronger and stronger to now like if i'm doing it it's like watching a movie um because my mind's so clued into what i'm doing so uh yeah, it's just 
have a play with it. You only have to do a few few reps of it. You don't have to visualize for for half an hour or anything. It's just a few minutes. Um, but I find in bed is a good time because you're nice and quiet and you know just before you go to sleep. And if it's the last thing you're thinking about it when you go to sleep, then your mind's nice and fresh and hopefully it sticks in your mind. For me, if with kicking, it's literally my ball, my tee, and the goalpost. Um, and I can see the I can see the visualize the crowd, uh, like so the, the stadium. I don't get into detail about crowds and stuff like that. Um, because at the end of the day, when you're kicking goals and you're, you're under pressure, you blank all that out anyway. So it doesn't matter if there's a crowd or no crowd. It's um, just you, your ball and the post. So if you can focus down like that, then I think it also helps in the game to get yourself focused uh, in that state of mind to really concentrate and, and block those external pressures out. And um, how many days a week would you be doing this? Is it an every night thing or do you plan out or just when you feel like it? Uh, I don't plan out. I would do a couple more before the game, but yeah, I'm, I probably would do it every night. I think I just, uh, yeah, might have one or two kicks every single night unless I'm uh, been out with the boys or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's pretty cool. And um, I feel like it's quite an underutilized thing in rugby. Yeah, hugely, hugely. Some of the best players in the world, I talk to them and, and they use it, um, as I say, for like tackling and mm. everything down to that. So it's, it's a very good tool. Yeah. I just want to get into what um, like an average training week look, looks like for you and um, like how do you sort of balance rugby with um, other things in life and like how important is that? Yeah, so if we just had a normal Saturday to Saturday week, uh, we'd train, obviously play the game Saturday, have Sunday completely off away from the club, um, which is, is important. Our Monday would be come in, uh, would have a deep, like obviously our debrief meetings. Um, we'd also have our preview meeting for the week. Then we'd have a weight session. Normally, you'd just like you'd be flipping these between backs and forwards. So, um, we'd have our team meeting, then we'd have our unit debrief. And when we're having our unit debrief, the forwards would be in the gym, then we'd swap over, have a bit of, uh, have a snack, and then go out in the field. And day one's pretty light um, for the guys, especially the guys that have played. It's like we go through our plays for the week. Um, we do us do some skills and then it's pretty much done. Uh, the guys will do a few more skills that didn't play. Um, after that, the next day, the same meetings in the morning, then you'll have weights again. Um, and then that session on Tuesday will be a little bit more physical. Um, you normally will be running our attack full speed. Um, in the defense, you might be able to uh, have a jackler. So sometimes the uh, breakdowns come live. Um, it's just all about looking after your ball. A lot of uh, you do counter attack and stuff like that as well. So it's pretty. It's a pretty big session. Then you have a day off on Wednesday. Then Thursday will be defence day uh, with attack as well. But you look at their defence. The op, the sort of extra guys that are not playing will will run a couple of attacks against you of what that team um, their traits are. Um, and then we're off again. We have no captains run now. Uh, so we're off again on the Friday and then straight into on the Saturday. 
Um, you got the option on the Friday if you want to come in and do anything that you would do. Um, some guys come in and do some kicking or, or passing or what uh, some forwards like to do a bit of weights and stuff like that before the game. So it's, yeah, it's pretty full on when we're there. We'd probably get in about eight o'clock. Uh, you have breakfast and you'll probably leave the building around sort of three. Um, and it gets, the, the, that would be Monday, Tuesday. Thursday would be pretty in and out. Uh, you get in, say, eight again, but you'd be sort of done by sort of two, one, one thirty-two. So you've got a bit of downtime. Uh, downtime is really important um, to stay mentally fresh. That's why I sort of, you know, I well, obviously my first passion is surfing, but there's not much surf around here. Um, so I got into golf and it's just a way because when I'm playing golf, I don't think about anything. And that's really important to keep your mind fresh and, and focused on, on the task ahead for the week. Um, and also obviously I've been doing a lot of, uh, it's really important to do stuff outside of rugby. So a lot of guys are obviously doing studies and, setting themselves up for rug, uh, life outside of rugby because, you know, you're only one injury away from from your career gone or a contract away for, for you know, losing your contract or, you know, this game doesn't last very long. Um, I've just been very, very fortunate to be able to still play a long time. But, you know, it's sometimes you blink and it's gone. So to have that life out of rugby is very, very important. And But, you know, when you're in it, it's it's hard. You start thinking about rugby all the time. That's why it's very important to have something outside and just to take your mind off it, stay nice and fresh, and um, and ready for the weekend. Otherwise, you just burn out. Why do you think you've been able to have such a long career? Well, that might be hard, quite a hard question to answer, but how have you done it? Um, I don't know. I suppose I'm I'm pretty lucky, but you know, I I do train hard. Um, um, I'm always doing the extra bits to, to make sure my body's right. And I think I have a good balance outside of rugby. I think, as I say, like surfing's always been a passion. Now golf has become a bit of a passion. Um, but that mental switch off is so important. Um, because when I was young, yes, I still had my surfing and I was still surfing most days, but I'd still think about rugby all the time, apart from when I was in the water. Um, but now, I, as soon as I leave that changing room, uh, to the changing room, my my mind's just switched off, and until we, obviously I review training and stuff like that. But I try and really focus on other things. Obviously, having a family helps with that, but just keeping my mind fresh and and not over sort of burning myself keeps my desire and keeps my hunger for the game. Cool. Um, I want to chat about your kicking tees and um, your kicking academy. So how did you first get into making tees? I think we should start with that because I have heard this before. And it's pretty interesting. Yeah, so as, as I said, when I first started um, kicking, we kicked off the Simpkin tee um, and a guy called George Simpkin designed it, New Zealander, uh, along with, you know, he's a pioneer of many, many things in rugby. He also coached a lot of teams, Fiji and Waikato and places like this. And yeah, I just always love the tee because of the angles you can get on it. And then one before, just before the first lockdown, I got a message on Facebook um, from George. I, ha I have never met him. Um, I've never met him before. And he just said, look, um, 
hi, I'm George Simpkin, um, introduced himself and he said, look, I'd, I'd love to chat to you. Please give me a call and, and um, I think you'll be interested in what I have to say. So I was, I was quite intrigued about it because, you know, I've been trying to find these kicking tees for so long. Like uh, it was around 2009, 2010, just when I came over to the UK I just couldn't find any more. Like I had to, I found my agent found some and got some over to me, but I just couldn't see them anywhere. So I was like bummed about it. So I was like always just hold my teas and, and lunch pot, like little containers so that no one bends them. I remember, I, I remember yelling at a, at a poor kid on the sideline, a ball boy, because he was sitting there playing with my tea like this. I was like, hey, stop touching my tea. Like, cause I only had a few of them left and I was gluing them back together um but anyway yeah he got in touch with me and he said look I've I've obviously watched your career right throughout my whole life uh you know out right throughout your whole career I've loved how you've kicked you're still using it today um and he was like look I've been diagnosed with terminal cancer and I haven't got long to live and I would love to gift you the tea for you to produce under your name and Things got rolling and the Jimmy G T was born. And it was unfortunate that during the whole COVID thing, it took ages to get things going. You know, you imagine everything was really slow and he unfortunately passed away pretty quickly. And um, so he never got to see it, but, you know, I've showed it to his wife and everything and she's pretty stoked. And, but yeah, it's now the Jimmy G T and um, I've got heaps of them, which is cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, look, mate, thank you so much for coming on. That was really interesting. Um, for people who do kick off teas, where should they go to look for the teas? Yeah, so jimmygtees.com um, is my web web page. And obviously, Jimmy G Tees uh, is on Instagram and uh, Twitter. And then, yeah, you can always follow my, my feed on Instagram. Um, and then it will go through to that. But yeah, now I've got a few there for sale so if anyone wants to jump on it then um bang on that's a good tea i really enjoy it um i'm in the process now of designing another one as well so there's uh, hopefully some more to come cool cool look thank you so much no worries pal